Sass and Cyrus, I welcome you to this episode of our show. Today I'm talking to Justin Morgan. He's a CEO and founder of Rentado, and today we had a really special talk. Justin today is talking about how he and his co-founder hired a team, raised the capital, and grew their SaaS. Of course, there were a lot of challenges along the way, a lot of lessons learned. Just check out this short brief exempt from the episode. But putting that aside, one of the issues that we that we found was, and I'm sure a lot of developers and a lot of um, people in, in SaaS in general can talk about it, is that when you hand the keys, the, the development keys from one development team to another development team, that's when stuff gets really messy. Yep. Justin knows exactly how it is when you change gears and when you switch development teams. Let's listen to the full episode to get the most value out of this conversation. This episode is sponsored by the SaaS Insiders Studio. We help SaaS founders build their minimum viable products, MVPs, launch quickly, find a product market fit, and grow from there. SaaS Insiders Studio works with non-technical founders that are on the pre-seed or seed stage to help them execute on their product vision. To learn more, go to my LinkedIn profile that you can find in the description to this episode and shoot me a direct message there. All right, let's jump straight into today's episode. SaaS Insiders, I welcome you to this episode of our show. Today with me, I have Justin Morgan with his incredible story that ties not only to SaaS, but how he went into it and what's the real meaning of the company that he's building. Uh, I won't steal too much from it. I'll, I'll let him do, do the intro. With that said, Justin, I welcome you to the show. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here and to talk to other SaaS pioneers. Uh, so I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to get going. Justin, for those who don't know you yet, if you could give in a couple of minutes the introduction, who is Justin, where you're coming from, and what you're working on right now? Sure. Um, I am the CEO of a company called Rentato, and that focuses on prop tech, and it really falls in between the relationship between the tenants and the managers. Um, and the company really started from a very uh, personal you know, it has a, a personal antithesis and our uh, starting point rather. And, um, you know, my partner and I are, we're best friends from college. I introduced him to his wife and we really wanted to create a company that has deep meaning. And he has been, he's a doctor. And so outside of that, he's, he's worked on some other companies. And uh, a number of years ago, my father passed away, unfortunately, and I had to take over the property management and, and uh, ownership kind of arm of everything. And I noticed that when I took it over, that there are some really antiquated solutions in terms of people paying rent, requesting maintenance, um, you know, going about everything from having an event by the pool or, you know, taco trucks or that kind of thing. Um, you know, property managers and renters really communicate in what I would consider to be very antiquated methods, right? It's a mixture of text messages and literally handwritten notes and payments come in with cash, credit, checks, credit cards, you know, Venmo, you name it, and people are utilizing this. And so we really wanted to create a system that, um, 
that we could you could sit down and you could manage your entire core rental experience through our system um and you know again this was a really this is a, a labor of love in a lot of ways because you know we didn't do it to set out to do it for the money or any of that stuff we did it because we saw a problem and we felt that our solution was a very unique solution for the marketplace and something really needed um and even the colors you know we have a bright pink r um, and the colors are even indicative of how we feel about our place in the market as a whole. If you look across the spectrum, um, you know, Zillow, uh, Redfin, you know, you name it in, in terms of our, even our competitors like Blueground or Appfolio. And it's a, it's a ton of color schemes that are, you know, they're beige and they're gray and they're dark blue. And we wanted our color schemes to be a lot more modern because our system wasn't just built for the managers. It was built for the tenants to have a really great rental experience. Um, part of our, our origin story was when my wife and I were moving all over California before we had our, our son, you know, we rented in a lot of different places. We lived in San Francisco, we lived in Los Angeles, and we lived in a lot of types of varieties of homes, primarily condos and apartments. And I found that um, our experience really differed based on who was managing it, who owned the unit. And, um, you know, over the course of about 10, 12 years, even at that time, and this was a number of years ago for me, I own my home now, um, I really thought that there was a better way we could manage this communication flow and this um, working relationship in between the tenants and the landlords. And, and again, so all of these experiences really led me uh, to want to create a system like Rentado. And, you know, there was a story that I have um, when I when my son was born, we were renting actually from a friend and all of the heaters in our in our unit went out. And it was winter and he was a newborn. And so we had to, of course, go out to Home Depot and buy all the heaters and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my uh, the, the landlord at the time really wasn't very responsive uh, in terms of fixing the heaters. You know, it's like, oh, I'll do it in a week or two. And this is obviously a big deal if you have a, uh, an infant that you're caring for. Um, and, you know, I, th I thought, gosh, there could be an, a way better way that we could manage this relationship. We could just take photos, you know, and yes, you can do all these things on your phone, but it's really a disconnected process. So we wanted to create a system that 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 set out for ease of use, number one, and then transparency, not just for transparency for the management team, but transparency for the renter saying, hey, it's Tuesday, my sink is still leaking, you know, and they have a track record of that. And then, you know, via text, via, you know, other means of communication, it's much more difficult to establish that track record. So, you know, all of these different processes and systems came from my own experiences, either renting or renting to other people and trying to mitigate and manage these relationships. Yeah. Now, one thing I can say is a lot of people can definitely relate to this. It's not like you're the only one renting places in US. Right. Right. So that's that, that's kind of a universal problem. We don't really need to explain what the problem is because people who rent it, they know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's it's constantly like this relationship is love and hate relationship with the mm -hmm. landlord or with the tenant in this way, right? Right, right. Um, but once you have this idea, once you have a co-founder, how do you go about building your size? Because obviously you need resources, people, uh, connections, uh, you need maybe some investors. Like how did you navigate from the point of we have, we have a pain, we have a problem, we have a solution. 
in our minds, let's build it. Like, how do you, did you navigate with your co-founder from there? That's a great question. I think um, I think to answer it simply, I, I think both co-founders have to have a central core idea and vision, and they have to be on the same page, number one. Uh, number two is I believe both co-founders needed to, in this case, we both do, have high pain points, meaning that we can survive the bumps and the grind um, that this process is. And so, you know, we we went about it a different way. We wanted to do everything ourselves. And so we hired a team of developers overseas initially to build our first version um, and bootstrap the whole thing. The whole thing has been bootstrapped up until this past November when we started getting investment capital in the company. Um, but before then, it was it was a controlled process of us hiring out. And so we hired three different development teams overseas to manage our first versions. And our first version actually was one of my favorites. Its notification system was amazing. My co-founder still uses it to move his cars and he lives in a home, for example. Um, but putting that aside, one of the issues that we that we found was, and I'm sure a lot of developers and a lot of um, people in, in SaaS in general can talk about it, is that when you hand the keys, the, the development keys from one development team to another development team, that's when stuff gets really messy. And so again, we had three different versions of our platform. And believe it or not, the first version worked better than the last version. You know, it sounds something it sounds funny to say that and you talk about all the time and the effort that that all parties involved tried to uh tried to input into this and so um really push came to shove about a year later we we took those systems as as kind of a core design philosophy and architecture and we found a gentleman in california who's who had built he was a CTO for something called Genesis Maintenance Systems in New York City. So he understood maintenance flow and how to build a system based on, you know, maintenance requests and building requests, et cetera. This is what he did for quite a number of years and had literally was the system architect for them. And so he redesigned and built our system from the ground up. So we went from having a product that its databases were kind of messed up. It really was, it had multi, multiple languages. Like we are on uh, PHP and MySQL right now. Um, and you know the other one had a had kind of a hybrid version of languages, and so the whole thing was built on a shaky foundation. Um, and ever since he rebuilt our system, we threw out the other stuff. Um, it's really been moving very smoothly, and we're able to really rapidly add any features that we need to. We can sideload development in any way. Um, so it's been going actually, and I should knock on wood before I say this out loud, but for us, it's been going very smoothly in the development process. And if you talk to other founders in, and I'm sure you have through uh, through what you do in the podcast, but you talk to other founders in, in the space, whether or not they're in prop tech or fintech or whatever, they'll, they'll tell you that the technical development of the platform is one of the most difficult aspects to get right. And it's one of the most important aspects because for us, it's about putting our best foot forward. We are strangers. Nobody knows us in the industry um, outside of some very small you know, groups of people here and there. Um, I'm in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and I was on the a commission for the city. And you know, we have we have a certain amount of people that we can talk to and have access to, which is wonderful. But at the same time, 
Um, we knew that our, our reputation in this space would live or die based on how well our system performed. And so in terms of wide release and us not being able to get out there for a while, that was because we wanted to ensure that the system was as good as humanly possible before we MVP'd it out, before we rolled it out to actual consumers. Um, there's just too many, too many choices in this space. And again, I think our solution is better than others on the market, of course, um, but at the same time, we don't want to drive our potential customers to other people. Um, and so, you know, the development aspect was was always a really difficult part for us. And it's great for us to be able to really to control it with our home team. Uh, we don't have a lot of outside costs. We've been able to really control costs, which has been a big factor. Looked at, you know, looked at taking out large business loans and hiring a large team. And we really, we really did it through contracting, through some equity pieces. Um, and we're able to great to get a really great skeleton team. We have a great COO. You know, he's from Cornell and he does investments on the East Coast. We have a great CFO. Uh, he's got an MBA from Boston University, and he has his own side firms and has worked for a lot of larger banks. Um, so we have a really strong core team of professionals, um, and I think then that's really been been part of our integral success in us being able to get through and grind through some of these bumps and these. Um, you know, these brick walls that we hit, for lack of a better term, is because we've got this strong team on board and that everybody is really personally invested in seeing the project forward and seeing it successful. So, now, Justin, I have two really important things here that you just said that I, I think every SaaS and SARS listening needs to hear. And one of them is you don't really want to hire three or five different teams one after another, because what it does is they all do it their own style, their own way, right? And it can, it can happen exactly what happened in your case, which is the first version is good. And as you try to iterate on that, it's actually not, not moving anywhere, right? So you got to first be super selective, probably, or what kind of team you're taking, like make sure that you can actually work with them for a prolonged period of time. And second is just like you said, um, especially for non-tech founders, the ones who come from marketing background, sales background, maybe real estate background, the ones who don't know how to develop things themselves, right? Having someone like a CTO, someone or a fractional CTO who you can trust for making those technical decisions can make or break a deal because depending on whether you do it from the first attempt, basically means how much time, energy and resources you'll be spending on this. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Um, you know, in terms of our our, you know, I call him a consulting CTO because he's not a full time employee of the company, but he has equity in our project, not a substantial amount, but enough to where it can make a major difference. Right, as upon we move to exit and M and A kind of activities, it can make a major difference for his life and and all of that stuff. So it it further motivated him to ensure that the system not only is good but is good moving forward. Right, he's got a real stake involved in that, and we're a small company, so we're able to because we bootstrapped it. We didn't have any outside investors or anything. We're able to really kind of play with some of this a little bit more than maybe other people. But the way I thought I've always thought about technical development is is kind of the way that music is created. So if you hand off one co you know composition to another composer, they're going to throw out like half the stuff the other person did, and it's going to be this continual retooling. So you know when we when we 
really sat down and thought about, hey, how are we going to, and we, we had a decision point, by the way, upon spending more money and more time, and the third version was honestly not as good as the first version, it was a decision point. This is an inflection point. Like, do we shut this down and walk away and go about our other, you know, we have other things in our lives that we're doing too, or do we double down and find somebody we know we have a great idea, we know the concept is great, it has proven, you know, there's a value proposition that is proven time and time again. So we wanted to hire somebody that really was integrated with the project and really wanted to see see it forward. And I believe, mm -hmm. that, you know, and, and obviously it's not, everything's not said and done, but I do believe that we got lucky with the person that we found um, because their skill set. Uh, is so transferable to prop tech because I talked to a lot of other CTOs and and they had developed in other verticals, but in prop tech it's really its own thing. Um, and so you know the technical the technical side of things I think has been the biggest struggle and hurdle in getting forward because the way I've seen it, and I come from a little bit more of a marketing background. Uh, at least in my undergrad and all of that, is that, you know, with the sales and, and ramping up and scaling up with our customers, um, it's never an easy process. I don't want to say it's an easy process, but I believe that it is, um, you know, it's a little bit easier for me personally to manage than, than the actual technical development architecture side. And so again, I'm really happy that we have somebody who is uh, you know, so dedicated to the project and um, has made a really, a really great, powerful tool that I think people are going to benefit from. Now, one thing you've touched here is really important because you've said that there was a tough decision to make, right? When after the third version, we didn't get too much further. And this is really relatable to me because I exclusively helped some SaaS founders as a fractional CTO myself. And they were almost like an exact spot like you are. They tried a couple of teams. They get further down the road, invested two years sometimes, sometimes mm -hmm. a bit less. But the, the last thing I saw is like two years of implementation and they've got nowhere. Right. It's like, and they're at this point where they either change something drastically, find the right person or they just quit, right? So what goes through, what, go, what went through your mind? How did you approach this decision, right? And what made you believe that the person you 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 decided to work with was a good fit? Like, what kind of signs told told you that? Let's try it one more time. Um, we had interviewed. We'd used uh, LinkedIn and in some kind of you know some per diem basis and a little bit of equity stuff to attract some people that I thought were very talented. Actually, some system architects and CTOs that were very talented. Um, our CTO stood out to us again because. He had, I could tell he was passionate about system design. He he literally like, this is what he does for fun in his spare time is like system design and architecture. Um, but outside of that, his, his experience was extremely relevant because again, maintenance is such a large part. And we look at prop tech, we look at maintenance and maintenance requesting. You talk to almost any property manager out there and they're going to tell you that that's their number one issue. Um, it's not communication. It's not payment flow. That maintenance flow typically, and this is in my experience, and this is in the experience, I believe, of, of people that I've spoken to almost universally, and it's always maintenance. You know, To give you an example, uh, a real world example, in one of our units, somebody uh, did not communicate that their sink was leaking and the leak went underneath the unit 
and uh, caused $35,000 worth of damage, right? So we had to come in and basically redo the kitchen, et cetera. And I've always looked at our application. If we were, if this individual without using any words or anything was just able to take a picture of this and put it through the application, it doesn't have to be a direct text message, which by the way, is hard for a lot of people to communicate. They have bad relationships or are scared of management, landlords, et cetera. Using this application to, as like almost a third party independent person to go out and send this request, um, it would have saved it would have saved that individual a lot of problems and it would have saved our our side of things a lot of problems as well. You know, this was this was a two hundred or three hundred dollar repair versus something that ended up being thirty or forty thousand dollars. So going back to our CTO, I wanted somebody that really understood the maintenance flow in general. And 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 again, he had extremely relevant experience. So so you know to kind of summarize what I what I'm saying is as I looked at his experience was number one for me. And then number two was his enthusiasm and his seeming, you know, almost from the get-go, his dedication to the project. Um, because if he was over, you know, if, if he was overscheduled, if he had multiple, multiple things going on and wasn't able to get back to us or was kind of tepid about the whole thing, we would have moved on with somebody else. We also, I'm sure as you've discovered and talked to other founders, you need people in in SaaS and entrepreneurship in general. You need people who are making your core decisions and helping guide your company to be really passionate and uh, and uh, excited about the idea. At the end of the day, you know, again, this is this is a labor of love, not a labor of not a matter of you know, let's maximize our return on investment, that kind of thing. Because the idea is for us is that if we do a really good job, all of those things will fall into place later on. Now, one thing I'm curious, Justin, is you've started as bootstrapping. Your strategy was let's let's be super resource efficient, let's build it ourselves. Yeah. But now going into, you've mentioned you've recently secured a, um, a funding round, mm -hmm. right? So we have the, the the question is, what was driving that decision, right? What was missing in the bootstrapping, let's say, strategy, right? What do we basically, why we need to make this? Because I'm sure that if you didn't, if you didn't have to, you probably wouldn't do this, right? So my, my question is like, what was the decision that, that drove you there? And what kind of focus shift happens after, after you fundraise? Like, do, do priorities change in the company? Do the way you operate change? Like, I'm curious, how did that change the way you run the business? Those are good questions. Um, they're complex questions. And so to, to answer your first one, why did we seek outside funding? The, the type of funding that we got also came with institutional support. So we have a large university in a large city, the city of Long Beach in California. Um, they're now vested in our project. And so we get this automatic. So outside of media, you know, we've been in the media a little bit locally in the South Bay. Um, outside of all of that, we really needed um, a large institution and come come and give us kind of the stamp of approval, this legitimacy, right? This legitimacy stamp. And with that came a fairly small investment. They do not have a majority of control in the company by any measure. It's a very small equity piece in exchange, you know, as a safe note um, in exchange for, um, you know, some, some uh, money for us. Um, in terms of the need for money, unfortunately, I believe with most SaaS companies, 
you do hit a point where it becomes unsustainable to, to bootstrap, right? Like either you have to have capital coming in, revenue coming in from your own project, from the fruits of your own labor, if you chose to bootstrap it, or like us, we continue, we need to continue to further develop, to stay ahead of the curve and to further develop, we do need an infusion of cash. So we could maintain at kind of a lower level and never go for any extras and kind of build precipitously, or we could get this infusion of cash, have institutional support, and then really scale up very rapidly. Like that's the plan. Um, and that's the whole idea behind um, getting ourselves involved with, with outside investors and all of that at this point in time. But from, from the beginning of the company where you're the most exposed, you're the most, um, you know, you're in the weakest point in time that you're going to be as a company, we wanted to make sure that we were controlling all of the financial aspects that we didn't have any debt that we didn't have any massive expenses expenditures going out we don't have any like today the way i'm speaking to you we have no fiduciary responsibilities still the way the investment was written right um and we still have we don't have any legal issues there's nothing pending which is wonderful especially after a couple of years in contract work um and so we've tried to really um do it as cleanly as humanly possible before this point in time so mm. Now, based on what you said, and a lot of founders speak about it as well, when you bootstrap, you have full control and the only, the only person you're responsible for is yourself. Meaning if something goes wrong with the company, it's, it, it, it impacts you, but yes. that's, and maybe your employees. When you have all of those investors, all of those vested people who are invested in terms of time, resources, and energy, you know that this takes a 10 times higher and it's, and, it's, and it's a bigger risk, right? You have people that rely on you and it's a lot of stress. So my question is, did you, do you relate to this, kind of, um, to this kind of situation where it's like, it feels like it's much greater responsibility, much greater risk, a much serious decision? And what motivated you to, to still make that choice? Because as you said, you could technically stay bootstrap, do it smaller, smaller, but you know that there was an opportunity that could be missed if you if you didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, that's that's also a great question. Um, for me, it has to do with uh, I, I'm dealing with three core components of my business, and that's time, effort, and money. Right? Is that and all three of those things, effort and energy, are the same one. And all three of those different, you know, time, for example, self-explanatory. Effort and energy is self-explanatory, and money is as well. And when I look at that, if, if I wanted to continue to bootstrap and to continue to have the company kind of sputter along without any support, my question for me and my, my co-founder, Mike, was how much time and effort are we going to continue to put in unless it starts to scale up? You know, he and I are both busy people. We've done a lot of things outside of this. This is not our first venture by any measure. Um, and so the institutional support for us, again, adds the legitimacy. And to your point, yes, there is a lack of control. Whenever you bring in outside investors, whenever you bring in large institutions, you know, there's tons of advising and they give you mentors and they give you all the things that supposedly help you with your success. But at the same time, you know, every, everybody 
to make bad metaphors, everybody drives the car a little bit differently, right? And and that you suddenly you go from you and your your customers are the only stakeholders that you have to appease to all of these other people that you have to appease all of a sudden. But I kind of look at that as if you were playing pro sports, the pressure increases the higher the level you go. So unfortunately, you know, with every human system that I've seen, and I've been in education and prop tech and government, is that the the more you, the higher level you want to go, the more pressure is going to be applied from outside groups in general. Um, and so, you know, we did make a, it, this was a discussion. This, this was an absolute discussion this summer about whether or not we wanted to do the program, whether or not we wanted to take outside capital and how it would change our management core philosophy. But at the same time, we also know that as two people managing a company of anywhere between seven and 10 contractors at any point in time, um, how much longer again, can we, can we do this without one of us? or both of us disengaging from that. And that to me would be a waste of time. Um, the, the second point is, uh, the final point for me, is that both he and I, um, we tend to be competitors in the sense that we really, really want to succeed in ventures that we decide to do. Like this wasn't just a whim on a whim on a moment, you know, oh, hey, let's go do this. This sounds fun. This is this was something that we really wanted to succeed in and still is. And so whether or not we scale up to the level we want to or get to another level, there, there is a certain amount of ambition and in, in both of us pushing ourselves to succeed in the space because he... Uh, my co-founder uh, co-founded something called Anesthesia Go in the medical side of things. Again, it's a SaaS company about shortening the, the scheduling time in ORs, you know, mm -hmm. takes everything from like the doctor's office proximity to the OR, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they did a great job. He did a great job with it and was able to exit in early 2022. And so, you know, again, we're always we're looking for the win as well. So you have a little bit of that kind of competitiveness in both of us. Got it. So it's more like if we don't push this button, like we might never see this again, right? It's like kind of we gotta take the action while while the opportunity is there to to grow it. I can't speak for him, um, but I, I can only tell you my thought process was exactly that. It was we can either do this or watch our company kind of do its own thing and we don't know maybe a bunch of people could have signed on like you know during that process i don't know what's going to happen or what could have happened if we had taken that road but um i did not foresee like great things it really was either we're going to do this and go big or we go home kind of thing at the end of the day so now that's that's that, yeah. that's a that's admirable how do you think that what kind of things that gave you as a founder as a co-founder of the company like you said the management the way the company is managed and run will be changed, of course, if you mm. introduce uh, outside capital. Like, yes. what kind of opportunities it gives you as a founder now that you went through the process? Like, how did it change the way you operate, and whether this is something you are liking so far? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a relatively short time in between. We've had outside institutional cash, and I've been using my own. Um, one of the things it did immediately is it takes that pressure off. I have a family, and I have expenses outside of this, and so I wanted to make sure that that actual living resources were being reallocated to where they should be instead of diverted to the company. Um, and you know, it, it to me, I look at it as a is an exciting thing, to be quite honest, because um, 
the people that we've met so far through the process seem to be very vested and interested in, in helping us succeed. Um, you know, the core management philosophy will never be the same between two people ever. You know, you get two people in a room and they're going to talk about management. And if they're both being truthful, it would never be 100% on the same page. Um, and the other thing, too, is, is, is my co-founder and I don't think we're complete experts in managing or running a company or anything. Um, and so, you know, getting outside support advice, especially as we scale up at this stage, uh, is really important to us. Um, you know, and, and eventually, you know, you, you, have to, you have to try things, new things, and whether or not they work, um, you know, remains to be seen. But, but this was one of the things that we knew that we had to really go and do. Um, to be able to get our name brand out there, to be able to scale up and to be able to really prove to the, uh, you know, to the, to the market segment that this was a, a valuable addition to, to PropTech. So. I love it. I love it. What are the plans for you and for your company now that you've passed uh, the, the funding round? Like, what are the things, what are the goals you set for yourself for the next one, two quarters, maybe a year? And how, how do those like change compared to like before the funding? Sure. Before the funding, our goals were to acquire a handful of customers to make sure that this worked and then to possibly seek exit at a much, much lower number. Um, and again, that time and energy factor coming into play. Um, our goals now have radically changed. Uh, we are really looking at scaling up, up. Um, we want to go basically as far as the system, we'll say the universe, for lack of a better term, uh, allows us. Um, and, you know, we've we've met some really interesting stakeholders through the process. And, you know, a lot remains to be seen. But again, this really gives us an opportunity to go much larger and much bigger um, than actually either one of us initially planned on from the get-go. We we had always planned on the project being kind of a side project and being smaller. And then I took that over about a year, year and a half ago full time. And it is not a side project at all anymore. Um, it's definitely full time. Um, but again, you know, the, the institutional support that we receive, and I have had uh, some friends, there's a friend of mine who started a company called Evo Electric, and they're very, uh, they're doing very well in green tech. Um, and, you know, they've gotten a lot of recognition for um, everything from the Clinton Foundation to these, these green and lead type organizations. And they went through the company and they were facing similar things. They were, you know, it was bootstrap or die or receive institutional funding. And since then, they've been able to raise millions of dollars. They have a full company. They have full scaled production facility because they actually make a physical product. Um, and, you know, they're... Uh, their response to me in terms of, you know, uh, recommending this program and whatnot were, you know, you can, you can stay down at that level forever and kind of without maybe some outside support for, for what we need and what they needed at the time. Um, it just wouldn't have happened if they hadn't uh, received out, outside support and outside funding. Um, and of course it's changed the way 
they they started their company and they managed their company, but at the same time, they're able to go out and do a lot more fundraising type activities and get in front of really exciting people. They've met some really, really exciting people through this process. Um, and, and we're looking to do the same thing. Interesting, really interesting. One thing just I'm curious and a lot of us founders will be also as well. Um, what are the things you would love to know when you started this company? Now, from your perspective, you went through some of the bootstrapping, changing some teams, finding the CTO, going to fundraising, see how it changes your perspective. If you were to go back and say like just one or two advices to a younger Justin, like, hey, this is what you should be aware of. This is what you should go for 100%. What kind of things you would tell like yourself from the past? Um, I think on the on the positive side, we'll start with the positive side first. I think um, I've, I've been able to meet people that I would never thought I would meet before. You know, I've been able to talk to people. I've talked to billionaires. I've talked to a lot of different individuals that are that are really interesting. And I think differently about the world. I think differently about investment and how companies are made from this experience. I think it's been a very educating experience and a very positive one. At the same time, the length of time from when we started the project, we're like, hey, we're going to do this within a year. We're going to do this within a year and a half. The length of time that we wanted to start, scale, exit, et cetera, is dramatically increased from, from our first uh, estimates. Our first estimates were pretty uneducated, to be quite honest. Um, you know, it's it's the rule of thumb, I think, for starting a company like this, if you want to bootstrap it, if you want to do it something similar that we've done, is it's about two years of your life. So, you know, they say, you know, if you're going to start a company, there's some estimates like, oh, save for six months, save for two years, <laughs> save for two years. Um, and double the time estimates that you have for almost anything. If somebody says, hey, we can give you a build in a month, in your mind, it should be two months. Um, and then be pleasantly surprised along the way if somebody comes early with something. Uh, that, that's the other thing is getting te a technical package to market, especially when you're managing a team overseas. Um, it is very time consuming. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that everything they say is true. You're going to be up at three o'clock in the morning answering emails and getting on phone calls if you have a team overseas, for example. Um, your sleep patterns are going to change, but I don't think, again, that's a bad thing. Um, and, you know, I think the number one piece of advice I would have for, for founders, young founders, people who haven't done this before or thinking about doing it is to... You know, it's what they say if you get into a really great graduate school. Uh, it's to get your affairs in order, right? Is to make sure everything that's up in the air that needs to be taken care of, anything that you can personally manage at this point in time, you should manage it. And then really dial down into what you want to do. Um, I think, what is it, 80% of these companies, these types of companies fail. Um, and so it's a huge, huge barrier. But at the same time, if you can be one of the 20%, I think that's a really huge feather in your cap. Um, you know, so it, you just have to understand that there is a point that every founder hits where you decide whether or not to go for it and be tenacious or to fold and to move on. And that decision point uh, is different for everybody you know, and everybody's needs and every where everybody is in their in their life. And for us, it was go for it. But 
I didn't think there would be so many ups and downs and lefts and rights, um, you know, during the process. I, I thought that would be other people and not us because we we've been so successful in our other endeavors. Um, you know, but again, it's it's uh, it, for us, it was double the money, double the time and be super tenacious. You know, when you explain the challenges, uh, when you say like it'll take much longer, you'll be awake at three a.m. It's almost it almost sounds like having a baby in a way. You know, <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. like oh, you yeah, very long. Baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you'll be awake in the night. You the sleep cycles will change, but that's for the good. You know, <laughs> and I'm hearing this, and it's like oh my god, it's almost like you know having having a younger one. So, in so. some ways it is and you're like just like a young one i have a nine-year-old son i just like a, a young one you are bringing them you know into the world and you're getting them ready to be successful and you're not sure if it's going to work sometimes you know sometimes you, you ask yourself i like to think of the movie um i don't know if you've seen it the movie moneyball with brad pitt um oh. he's a He's a manager of the Oakland A's and, you know, it's a great movie and he spends about, I don't know, a quarter of the movie driving around kind of asking himself, what, what do you see? He's like, oh, why am I doing this? He asked, that's a real line from the movie. And I've thought about that line a lot because I, I've had those moments where I'm driving around too going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I could be doing X, I could be doing Y, I could be doing Z, but for me to go from that point to the point where I am now, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of really positive and wonderful change. And, and personally, I'm I'm not sure if I would have gotten the same level of satisfaction by going out and working for somebody else and going out and not trying this. This was always a question mark in my mind. I come from this really long line of entrepreneurs. Um, like my my grandparents co-founded Squaw Valley. <laughs> they did the measurements and some of the principal investing for the, the ski resort there. And, you know, we've come from leaders and all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, I've, I've always wondered whether or not this was for me. And, and I can definitely definitively answer that it is. So it's almost like in your DNA, in a way. You, you have a few generations of people doing this. Yeah, it's 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 something like that. I have a lot of engineers and um, in in my DNA, a lot of political people, and so you know it's kind of a nice mishmash in between. Because I think I'm a little bit of both. Because I was a commissioner and I tend to speak a lot, and um, I, you know it's it's a little bit of blend of both. Is that being a, a leader, a CEO, or whatever term you want to apply to it involves PR, involves public speaking, involves getting yourself out there and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. But at the same time, I really like the engineering process and the architecture and build and physically building something. I really like the idea that we we were able to create something from literally nothing. And I think there's a lot of SaaS founders out there that it's something that started with an idea. And even though it's not some building off in like the LA skyline or something, um, and who knows, it could be, you know, at some point in time, but you know, this, this very, this idea that we were able to come up with a simple idea and the same thing with Mike and I is an idea over coffee and come out with something real. It's on the iPhone store. It's on the Android store. It's, you know, it's in the internet now it's, it's real. It's a thing and we created it. Um, and that's a pretty amazing thing to say at the end of the day. Fascinating. Justin, where do you, where do you dig for inspiration? Maybe you have some books, inspirational speakers, mentors, masterminds, accelerators. What are the things that helped you become the way you are? Of course, from your experience, but maybe you, you've read something, you watched something that you think made a major shift in your 
uh, in your understanding of how to run this business? Maybe you name one to three like titles. Sure. Um, I actually, I, I used to read a lot, a lot before this, because this capitalizes on my time so much. Um, there's a book by about uh, Ernest Shackleton called Endurance, and they were they were stuck down. I actually think it should be on the, the reading list for Harvard, etc. Um, and it's it's a true lesson of leadership. Um, and again, the book is called Endurance, and it's, it's a historical book, obviously. And it's about basically how Shackleton was able to do these superhuman feats and he did it all for his crew not a single person in his crew died i think a couple of people lost their legs from frostbite but it's amazing if you look at what they went through um that was a hugely inspirational book um you know and i personally draw inspiration from my family from the people that i'm related to um you know and you when you have a family member that designed the suez canal you know 150 years ago you yourself want to go out and do something really great. And so, you know, I come from this, this group of people that did some pretty great things, at least historically speaking, back in the day. And, you know, I have this maybe this weird internal motivation where I want to go out and do something, maybe not to their level, but do something, you know, notable, something, something really great. Um, and for me personally, the third piece of inspiration, and it sounds funny, but uh, my father passed away and he fought, he passed away from Parkinson's and watching that process. And I really admired my father. There's not, a, not any issues there. Um, and he was a self-made person. He was an attorney. He's a very smart person. Um, I realized kind of how fragile life is and that within this period of time, you either do things you want to do or you don't. And this was something I wanted to go off on my own. I wanted to start a company on my own. And this has been a, a personal um you know, it's 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 been a personal goal of mine for quite some time, and it was just able to to kind of stumble upon this opportunity block, and you know, use all of these different factors for motivation for me starting the company. Um, you know, that was that was really an important part of my own personal journey because again, it, it, this this does come from kind of an emotional part, it, not just the dollars and cents things, which I do believe makes sense in this with our company, but it comes from this very uh, you know, this emotional beginning of having to take over and do all this stuff because my dad was gone. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of me and what, it, the, what we've done too. So. Thank you for sharing this personal, this personal. Oh yeah, experience. of course. Really, really appreciate it. What do you think should be, if I'm a SaaS insider, I'm listening to this and I, I can only take one thing, take away from this, like only one take. What's, what's the core message you think of our topic today should be if if it's only one focus of it what what is the advice i should take as a SaaS insider to to propel me to to get a better chances at getting success at SaaS business i i would say if we could really simplify it down to to really big um, ambitious terms i would be i would say be super tenacious um to be open and honest with people in the industry uh, don't hide your experience or your lack of experience or anything else. And the last piece of advice that's really served us very well is don't be afraid to take chances. Like, don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to swing for the fences. And, you know, I like to tell when I was when I taught a million years ago, um, I would I would tell them, 
you know, it, it, Babe Ruth had a horrible batting batting average, but he would he would just hit them over the wall when he could. And it's the same thing is that we really swing for the fences. And if we miss, we miss. It is part of the deal. Um, but when we hit, we really connect um, with some powerful people, some powerful ideas, some powerful processes. Um, and so I think it's really important to give yourself a fair shot, go out there and try and, um, you know, don't be afraid to take major chances. Don't be afraid to reach out to that CEO you've heard of. Uh, the worst thing they can do is say no or ignore you, right? At the end of the day, that is the worst thing that, that can possibly happen. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically my advice is, is to be to be fearless in this, because I think every founder has to ask themselves how in they are. If you're hundred percent in being fearless, I think it's kind of second nature. You're, this is already, you're already taking a risk by leaving paid work or, you know, you know, kind of upending your life to start a company, to do something like this. Um, and you have to ask yourself how, how much you want it and, and how, how in you want to be essentially. I think that's really uh, where every SaaS founder should really start is how much of myself can I put into this um, and how tenacious can I be? Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're speaking 100%, right? It's almost like when you're standing on a cliff, when you're watching down, it's still 99% because you're still there. 100% right. is when, when when your feet like leave the rock and when you're already there. So it's right. it's about like I already for 100%. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you're there, it's not a problem to reach out to that CEO. It's not a problem to make that connection, to wake up at 3 a.m. So it's really about like you're in or you're out. One, right. two. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, before we'll be wrapping up our talk today, I really want to make sure that SaaS Insiders and everyone interested who is relevant, of course, that can connect with you to help you maybe seek advice. Maybe it's a VC who wants to connect as well. What are the best contact details they can reach out to? Is it like email, LinkedIn? What would be the best way to connect? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you can email me directly at jmorgan at rentatousa.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the CEO of Rentato. Um, it'll say like Rentato, former commissioner, board chair, that kind of thing on my, you feel free to connect or to follow me. I think I have about 2,300-ish people uh, that I'm connected to, connected to now on LinkedIn. So um, those are really the best two ways to get a hold of me, but I'm basically available 24-7. Um, and again, if you want to reach out at any point in time or just chat or anything else, I'd love to hear from you. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll put those in the description of the episode so people can reach out and add value to you and maybe seek some, some help from your side as well. Perfect. Um, to wrap up, Justin, what do you think will be the final thoughts for, for our conversation today? What will be the, the right last words? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a very hard question. <laughs> um, I, you know, in, in terms of piggybacking off of being tenacious, um, you know, if this is, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, because this, this, our discussion turned to be really personal and about kind of the emotions about starting it, not just the rationale and the logic behind it. Um, you know, I, I think your listeners would really benefit if they're on the, on the fence of whether or not they want to start a company would be a to reach out to other founders that they've never met to get a really honest assessment of what this is about and to be if this is something you really want have wanted to do um, to start your own company there's never a bad time 
Um, you know, whether or not we're in a recession or a depression or everything's going incredibly well economically, there's never a bad time to start your company. If it's a good idea, if you're tenacious, or if it if there's real value that you can provide in the marketplace to your consumers, you know, be fearless and just go out and do the thing. And that's that's that would be my advice. Justin Morgan, everyone. Justin, I thank you so much for investing your time to speak to me today. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. SaaS Insiders, we'll see you in the next episodes.